Hi, and welcome to Bad Decisions. The podcast that helps us understand why we choose what we choose. Why we think what we think. And how to exploit this stuff for fun and commercial gain. I'm Dr. Mel Weinberg. I'm a performance psychologist. And I'm Dan Monheit, co-founder of Hard Hat. Dan, um, you know what? There's something very exciting today. Uh, it is Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. It's Corona. I have no idea what day it is. It is our 30th episode. Woo! 30 Yeah, really, yeah, really are, testing the levels. We are 30 years old again. <laughs> First wooing on bad decisions. How do you like that, couple? <laughs> not so much. Yeah, I'm not in the podcast. Uh, <laughs> you should be. It's about time. A third voice. The third voice that makes the first two voices sound much better. Which, you know, given we're 30 episodes in, we're having a lot of fun doing this. We now have listeners in over 90 countries. So what up, everybody out there? Thank you all so much for tuning in. We think it is time that we level with you guys just a little bit. Go on. Oh, go on. Okay, I'll be, I'll be leveling. Mel will be spectating my leveling. Well, I mean, you guys just like open your podcast player and you see the new episode come up and you start listening and you get to the end of an episode and you think, man, that is slick. Like these guys are just smooth. And I guess we want you guys to know that in between our recording and your listening, there's actually a lot of editing that happens. Like a lot, a lot, a lot of editing that happens. Well, hang on, not, not a lot. Like well, a lot of, of your stuff there's editing. Mine's pretty good. <laughs> Yours, we, <laughs> it's kind of like out with a weed whacker, just trying to get to the nuggets. <laughs> Thanks. But, you know, it's important. It's important because we need to come across as professionals here and uh, yeah, we, you know, we got to be, we got to be silky smooth. It's true. But like you said, like we do make mistakes sometimes and, you know, it gives, it gives cops, our producer, a lot of great content for bloopers, right cops? There are no bloopers. This is the conundrum that brands have made. <laughs> okay. Cause I'm just going, okay. Uh, do you remember the definition? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you, Mel? At Dr. Mel W, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. <laughs> Instagram, that's the number one ac- <laughs> academic. Okay, let's try that again. It just, me. God, I'm sorry, I'm just like. The second thing, what the fuck have I written here? The show that helps. <laughs> sorry, I'm slightly confused. Are you telling me what you're about to do or is this actually recording for the show? Okay. Let me start again. Start again. We're all the way back from the start. Fuck. Mic check was better. It's not always so competitive. There are... Here we go. So. Fuck me. What did I miss? But also... (laughs) Sorry, I actually don't have a point to make. Well, hey. I was just going... (laughs) Maybe I should be asking you... Oh, sorry, cops. I just hit the microphone. (laughs) Monheit calling me a bitch. Or what did you call me the other time? (laughs) Bitch, please! (laughs) There are no bloopers. So we thought this would be, you know, a good episode to really look at whether there's any heuristics out there that actually celebrate mistakes because I think it's important that we do that. Yeah, because you know what's better than being awesome? Being flawsome. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we can oh. cut that out as well. I was going right, to say, what... is it too late for that to go into bloopers? All right. <laughs> what do you got for us, Dr. Mel? What are we talking about today? We are talking about the pratfall effect. So the Prattfall effect, I'm very excited to hear about the misadventures of Mr. and or Mrs. Prattfall. Enlighten me. 
I'm not sure who Mr. or Mrs. Prattfall are. I'm sure they're a lovely couple living a nice life somewhere. Um, but the Prattfall effect wasn't actually named after them. Let me tell you what the Prattfall effect was and then I'll tell you what a Prattfall is. Um, the Prattfall effect is the idea that people who are considered to be highly competent, intelligent, or otherwise superior in some way actually become more likable after committing a blunder. And just in case you were wondering, as promised, I will tell you what a pratfall is uh, and what it was named after. The dictionary definition of a pratfall is literally a fall in which one lands on the buttocks. Who knew there was a specific term for falls which result in landing on one's own buttocks? Literally falling on your ass is the pratfall effect. And I think this is interesting because this is a real, like, this is really specific. Like, if you fall face first, not a pratfall. No, it's, it's just a different a fall. type of fall. Stack, yeah, it's just tumble. Mm. But there is a specific term for falling on your ass, and I really like that. Yeah, it should, I feel like it should be more widespread. So everybody, challenge for our audience: use the prat, the word pratfall, in a sentence this week. Yeah, I like it. All right, so hey, I mean, I, I think pratfalls or, or f- f- showcasing flaws are a really interesting thing in the topic of brands because much like us to podcast hosts, a lot of brands go to a lot of trouble to make themselves look pretty much perfect, pretty much flawless. Uh, And what this tells us is that might actually be slightly misdirected. If we think about what brands who show us some flaws do is they come across as, I guess, more honest or more credible or more trusted because we know brands aren't perfect. Like we know people aren't perfect. And so by telling us what their imperfection is, it kind of stops us from guessing. Yeah. You know, they're like, I'll tell you what's wrong with me. It's right here. Hey, look, Dan, before we get too deep into it, um, I think it's really important that we look at the research. Ah, yeah, you know what? I'm always doing that. I'm so sorry. Yes, let's look (laughs) at the research. So the Prattfall effect was given its name uh, back in 1966 by Elliot Aronson, who uh, presented his research in literally an article that was literally two pages long. And when I looked at this, I thought, wow, research was so much easier in 1966 to publish. And if any of my students were to submit a piece of work like that, it would fail automatically today. However. (laughs) Refer to the effort bias. I don't remember what episode that was, but shit is real. So the lazy, lazy Aronson, what did he do? Aronson in 1966 um, conducted a study that involved 48 male university students who were involved in introductory psychology course. And basically what happened was um, all of these 48 students were uh, listened to a tape recording. Remember, it was 1966. Um, Mm. They listened to a tape recording of a fellow student who they were told was trying out to represent the university in like a quiz contest, right? And so they were listening to um, this fellow student answer quiz questions. In two of these groups, the student performed really well. So they were getting 92% of the questions correct. So it gave the impression that they were superior and obviously really competent as a, as a trivia person, the right person to represent the university. In the other two groups, the contestant only got 30% of the questions correct. And so they were considered the, the mediocre student, if you will. And then within these two groups, there was another manipulation. So we've got the competent versus incompetent groups. And then within that, uh, the other manipulation was that at the end of the recording, just before the tape ended, one of the groups in either the superior competent or the inferior incompetent group heard the student apparently accidentally spill a coffee on themselves and make a a sort of claim aloud that said, oh, my God, I've spilled my coffee all over my suit. Yeah, oh no, I spilled my coffee, right? Um, and two of the groups didn't hear that. They just heard the uh, student answering all the questions. 
And so then afterwards, all of the subjects that participated were interviewed and they were asked to rate how likable the contestant, their fellow student was. And what the results showed was that those who listened to the contestant who performed really well, who got 92% of the answers correct, they actually liked that person. They rated them much more likable if they had heard him spill the coffee. Oh, because he's like a smart klutz. Moral of the story is if you're good at something, spill your coffee all over yourself and get a new suit. <laughs> I can't wait to be good at something and try this out. So this is this is the idea, the idea that when you're really competent, when you're perceived to be really competent in something, that actually making a mistake in an area that's really unrelated can actually make you more likable. And the idea behind it is that, you know, when somebody seems to be really superior or really competent or really perfect in some way, they're not particularly relatable. Uh, but when they show that they are vulnerable in a way that, you know, any of us are, we tend to sympathize more with them and that makes us like them more. Yeah, I, I really like this, how the, the kind of the, the clutziness doesn't make them more competent. It just makes the same competent person more likable. Where I think this is really good if you've sort of maxed out on competence. You know, everybody already thinks your brand or your person uh, is really good at something. Uh, this is a nice way to start working on, a, on another attribute around likability by showing some sort of uh, unrelated flaws. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, and look, now that I've you know had my had my research moment, um, yeah, I can I can guide you back to talking about brands. Yeah, well, I know that's what people are tuning in for, right? Like, it's good to have the research, but let's build on that. And when I think about this pratfall effect, where I absolutely see it coming to life is the whole growth of the discount airline space, right? Okay. So the thing with brands is, you know, you don't want people guessing where your floor is, especially if you are something like an airline, right? Where if you're going to come out and start offering flights at much cheaper prices, like you think about a Ryanair who's you know, advertising flights for you know, five pounds to different countries, you don't want people guessing that the way you're able to do that is by compromising on safety or they're just using one trainee pilot or they don't really service the planes very often. So by by pratfalling, right? By saying, look, we're really good at getting you there, right? But the service is going to be shit or there's no food or you can't take any luggage with you or, you know, the seats are not going to be very comfortable. It helps people understand what the real value proposition is and and prevents them from questioning stuff that you don't want them to question. You don't want them questioning your safety record. You want them questioning the comfort of your seats because at the end of the day, for most people, that doesn't really matter on a short flight. It's interesting to think about like what they're actually, you know, focusing on, which is it forces you to think, you know, do I, am I going on this flight to get from A to B or am I going on this flight to get the best meal I've ever had? And most people will realize I just need to get from A to B, willing to compromise on the food or go to a nice restaurant when I get there. Exactly. And so it takes, it takes a brave brand to lean into that. Um, And, you know, I I think about where this is really relevant and I think it's most interesting in categories where there is a lot of bravado, right? Because what you want to do with advertising, you want memorability and part of memorability is standing out, saying something different to what the rest of the category is saying. So some categories are really notorious for swag and for basically everybody saying how awesome they are. So that might be around performance cars or it might be around luxury hotels or it might be around beer you know, where everybody's just trying to one-up each other. And it's very interesting in those categories where people come out and say, uh, well, actually, there's something kind of wrong with me. So, you know, a couple of really famous examples of this, if we look at the car rental space, one of the most successful campaigns of all time was uh, Avis coming out and saying, we're number two, so we try harder, right? Uh, If we look at at Guinness, um, where Guinness actually takes twice as long to pour as most other beers. And, you know, taking that old software adage that it's not a bug, it's a feature, Guinness beautifully transformed taking twice as long to pour into the line that it's worth the wait. 
you know? So they're not compromising the quality of the beer. They're just saying that it's going to take a little bit longer to get it, which in the scheme of things shouldn't really matter. Guinness actually makes me think of a lot of the work we did a number of years ago for Little Creatures when they were still an independent brewer. So before they absolutely blew up and, and became sort of the monolith that they were, working with that brand through the early stages of their growth, the thing that was on every brief for them, not written, but it was kind of subtext for every brief, was everything needed to be a little bit shit, right? So whether you're making an ad or a new website or a, a EDM campaign, right? It kind of had to look a little bit shit because they didn't want people wondering whether they were any good at beer, right? They wanted people to know these guys are exceptional at making craft beer, but you know, so it makes sense that they're not that great at making a website or they're not that great at designing a menu or they're not that great at making an ad. Right, and I think you've really touched on a point that sort of we need to emphasize in that, which is that this isn't a heuristic for everybody, right? This is not a universal one-size-fits-all type thing. You need to be really careful when you use this heuristic or if you try to use this heuristic because it really is only for the bravado type uh, brands. It really is only for the superior, the competent and the perfect. And as you sort of mentioned, uh, it's not about being better or being the best. It's about being more likable instead. It reminds me, you know, it, the other side of the research article. I thought, you know, can I go back to the research just for a minute? Would you oh, allow fine. me? Let's go because back there to was the <laughs> there was another part of it, which is that um, in One the. Sec. Do you want Do you want music to go back to the research, or you just want to dive back into it? No, no, no. I'm fine to just go back into it. That's fine. I've already paused us now. I think we should do the music. Come on, cops, <laughs> let's get to music. The other side of that study that I didn't mention was that when participants were exposed to the mediocre type contestant who wasn't very good mm. at answering quiz questions or who was generally incompetent, the when that guy, yeah. yeah, when that guy spilled his coffee, he actually became less likable and less competent. He was like, this guy <laughs> is a moron and he can't even hold a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. So you really can't understate that you need to be competent first. If you are not, if you're little creatures and you're not already making great beer, making shit ads is not going to help, right? <laughs> but if you are highly competent, then maybe it's going to make people like you more. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. And remember, this is, as we've said, this is all about likability, right? And not trying to be perfect, but trying to be more human and trying to be something that people can relate to. So I think if I was going to sort of sum, sum this up as a recommendation for brands, like the thing to do is to be brilliant at the thing that is important. You know, you don't want a pratfall effect <laughs> the core thing people are trying to buy from you. If you're an airline, don't make jokes about your safety procedures, right? You need to be brilliant about what's important and honest about what is not important. Yeah, I mean, the way that I think of it is that, you know, if you're a competent sports person and you miss a catch, it's probably not going to go well for you because that's the thing that you're supposed to be good at. You've got to catch the ball, right? But if you're a competent sports person who isn't very good at drawing pictures of animals, then that makes you more likable. Right. If you're a lousy sports person and you drop a catch, then you're probably just crap at what you do. You're just a lousy sports person. You shouldn't, um, you shouldn't be here in the first place. Let's be I honest. was going to say, and if you're a lousy sports person and you can't draw pictures of animals, then you're probably just a lousy person in general. Yeah. You need to find something else to do with your time. So, Dan, obviously, like I, as a psychologist, I'm a huge fan of vulnerability. I encourage people to be vulnerable, right? I imagine that, you know, this could be a really helpful thing for for competent brands to use, why don't we see more of it? This is a wonderful question. And I would love to see more brands doing this because it does make for interesting ads. Like every ad is basically a brand talking about what they're great at. So there should be disproportionate payoffs for brands that don't do that. 
I think the biggest issue we have, and I certainly know when I've sort of tried to talk to some prospective clients about this, the biggest issue we have is something called the principal agent problem, where you have the principal, which is the brand, right? And you have the agent, which is the marketer, the person acting on behalf of the brand. And often the best outcome for each of those things is not the same. So for a brand, the best long-term thing might be to indulge in this pratfall effect, to talk about some of its vulnerabilities, to build likability over time. But it is a rare marketing director or marketing manager that's going to bet their next campaign and therefore possibly the next phase of their career on an ad that tells people that their beer is really slow. You know, it's, it's a kind of perceived higher risk strategy than it really is. Um, and I think that explains why we don't see many marketers take it on, even though I would really encourage you to. Yeah. So it's one of those high risk, high reward, possibly the type of situations if you play it right. Yeah. And the, the, the thing with the high risk is it's high risk for the individual, but it's not high risk for the brand. You know, if mm. you get it right, it's great for the brand. If you get it wrong, it doesn't really matter. You'll just switch and do some other campaign later. But for an individual, it's like, you're only as good as your last campaign and you do not want to be the guy or girl that did the world's worst tasting yogurt campaign when you were actually trying to sell yogurt. Like it's just not going to go well for you. So with that in mind, I guess what I would say to brands is you've got to try and find a way to do this, right? You've got to try and find a safe way to do this. Like maybe don't commit your whole next wave of activity to it. Maybe there's one channel or one market or one audience or one product line where you could just indulge in this idea of trying to be brilliant at what is important and honest about what is not. So find a safe space, give it a crack. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear how you go. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure your career will be great. And if not, you can always talk about the failure in your next interview as the thing that you messed up and that'll make you more likable. And I think, you know, it was really easy for me thinking about this to to link this to sort of the human side of things. And as soon as I sort of started reading about the pratfall effect, it immediately reminded me of the structure of a TED Talk, right, where you've got somebody who is usually, I guess, the, the whole point of them doing it is that they're the expert, they're the most competent person in that area to be giving that talk. And the first instruction of a, of a TED Talk is to make yourself vulnerable. Nobody does this better, Dan, than Brene Brown. Right. Well, Who, maybe Brene Brown's second best. I have seen your TED talk and it was magnificent. But following TEDx, you, Brene Brown, TEDx, TEDx, TEDx. <laughs> following you, though, Brene Brown does do a pretty good job of this. I, I was going to sort of segue, Dan, that, you know, Brene Brown, I mean, you and I did share a stage with, with her uh, uh, last year, was it, at South by Southwest? Um, maybe maybe not the exact same stage. Her we stage was a little carpet. bigger than ours. I think I, think I walked <laughs> over some of the same carpet that she walked over. <laughs> but she, nobody does this better than her. Um, the you know her, her actual TED talk is about being vulnerable, so it's really mm. meta the way that she goes about it, and so she really she really plays that out. And I think um, you know it just it's part of making her who she is. That she's yes, she's a wonderful expert in that space, um, and lots of people know her to be that. But she's also very vulnerable. Um, she leaves herself very exposed on there, and it's much easier to relate to her. And she's very likable for that reason. Um, and I think you know just thinking about people in general. We all strive for perfection, right? We all think that we want to be perfect and we admire people who are perfect um, and we want to be admired. But sometimes what we don't realise is that people don't actually like perfect. They might admire it, but they don't like it. People like people. And so it's not that we're saying that we want, you know, we want to see important people stuff up. That's not what this is about. But we want to be the type of person that others can relate to and nobody can relate to perfect because nobody is perfect, very true. And that's same goes for brands. So I tell you what, 
How about we, do you want to, do you want to put a slightly imperfect ribbon on all of this? <laughs> yeah. We'll wind it back. All right. So today we have talked about the pratfall effect, not named after a Mr. or a Mrs., but instead after the specific tar- uh, word for falling on one's buttocks. Correct. You want to hit us with a definition, Dr. Mel? Uh, I can. Um, the <laughs> Please. Make indul- me indul- to it. <laughs> indulge us. The pratfall effect is the idea that people who are considered highly competent or superior actually become more likable after they make some sort of mistake. Right. And the, the key thing for brands here is you've got to carve out a little, a little space to do this. And when you do it, focus on being brilliant at what is important and honest about the rest of it, right? So make sure you're failing at something that is kind of tangential, doesn't really matter, could be a little bit funny. And for peeps? The takeaway for people is that, look, all we want as human beings ultimately is to love and to be loved by others. And so falling on your butt every now and then may be a better play in the long run than striving for perfection. Love it. Inspirational message. All right, that is that is a wrap for today, episode 30. Thank you all so much. I might just take one quick moment to thank our very special producer extraordinaire, Cops in the booth Woo! on the wheels of steel. Making Does us an sound... excellent job getting rid of all of our bloopers all the time. Except this episode. Yeah, just, just one time. We're just going to publish the whole two-hour mess and you guys can sort it out for yourselves. Thank you guys all so much for, uh, for your downloads, your listens, your ratings, reviews. If you guys have got questions, feedbacks, comments, uh, good feedback to me, bad feedback to Mel. She's working on a pratfall effect right now. Uh, we'd love to hear it. Uh, and Dr. Mel, thanks to you. This, is, this has been good. Let's do 30 more. Oh, God, 30 more. You got 30 more heuristics for me? Yeah, we just have to make some. It's fine. <laughs> the Weinberg Monheit effect. Coming up in a future episode. Do you like how I put Weinberg first? Anyway, let's do it. If you've got ideas for what that effect could be, um, send them through and uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye.